Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. The Hoop Collective with Brian Winhurst focuses on life in and around the NBA and dives into the playoffs. Twice a week, Brian is joined by ESPN NBA insiders, including Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps, every Friday. That's the Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? What is up? All right, man. We're going to talk about some uh, NBA playoffs here. Also going to talk about what's going on with these wide receivers. But I had to start with this since you do live in Washington, D.C. Somebody hit me and was like, yo, did you hear they evacuated the Capitol? I'm like, oh, damn, they getting body, body, righty, righty again. All right. And then I see it's an aerial threat. A probable threat is the words they use. And I'm like, is it aliens? You know what I'm saying? Like, or are they going Tulsa on the Capitol? Like, yeah, like I mean, are, they, are, are they going move in Philly on the Capitol? Only to find out. They was doing one of them stunts at the baseball game where they had the army do stuff in the sky and the parachute man was going to drop in, but ain't nobody tell the people that needed to know. And so they was getting ready to, uh, to Gallagher this thing and start shooting <laughs> stuff out the sky. Can you imagine being the person who forgot to put in that call? You're not new to this city. I assume that there's a process with double checks, especially when somebody's life is on the line. It's like that um that story that that movie with with the Baldwin guy. They're filming the movie. They had real bullets yeah. in the gun, and apparently, gun went off and someone died. It's a tragic, tragic story, in part because y'all been doing these movies for a long time. Don't y'all got? like checklists in order and why they even real bullets within the vicinity and that's the same way i feel about this it's like y'all not an expansion team this ain't the (laughs) first time y'all had somebody jump like isn't somebody supposed to call because they bought i mean it's what you do if something is close to the capitol to the white house if something is flying around here that we don't know about i don't blame them for (laughs) for letting off things and we figured out later because whoever's in that flying thing it ain't the damn president. It ain't no senators. We'll figure it out later. And particularly when Putin out here talking about, I got stuff y'all can't see. I got <laughs> stuff I can shoot that y'all can't see. Whether he's telling the truth or not, I ain't waiting to find out. As someone who lives in D.C., get it. Get it down yeah. out the sky. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, I was about to say, it was nice of them to ask. It was <laughs> nice of them to inquire, to like try to get a handle on what uh. it is. That's going on. Like, here's what I think about when you start talking about, uh, you know, get them things out there. So I'm from Texas. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, don't mess with Texas, right? It's a big thing. We say it a lot. But what it also was, I don't know if this came first, but it was the slogan for the anti-littering campaign, right? Oh. It was, don't mess yeah. with Texas. They had a commercial once for the anti-littering campaign that was talking about people littering. And they made some reference to what I believe was called the Texas Confederate Air Force. And so, like, they talk about somebody littering and, the, you know, the ominous voice talking about the, the, the Confederate Air Force. And they show a plane and the commercial ends with whoever in the plane saying, bombs away. <laughs> this was about littering, dog. 
<laughs> so all, 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 all I'm saying is, it's something unidentified start fighting around where I'm from. Uh, oh, gosh. It ain't about to be no questions, dog, because we ain't asking no questions about you littering. You might have thrown a <laughs> banana peel out the window. That's biodegradable. <laughs> Don't mess with Texas is a uh, unofficial, like, state slogan that is accurate. But I, I grew up in Baltimore in a time where one of our many state slogans was the city that reads. And I think it was aspirational. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't feel like it was an an actual thing. I remember seeing up signs as we are the city that reads. And I think that it was like, we hope to become was omitted or something. Because I didn't see a lot of books in that city. There's a lot of other things. Hold on, though. Did you see the wild story from Baltimore yesterday? No. Okay. Okay. I have to get this for you. I'm looking at it right now because this is you're not going to believe it. So there was some dude who had just gotten a job as a, the chief of financial services for the uh, Baltimore Police Department. Buddy in the elevator, a detective walks in the elevator and is like, that is a person of interest in a homicide case. Yes. Yes, here it is right here. Former BPD Chief of Fiscal Affairs Dana Hayes was fired soon after he got on an elevator at headquarters and was recognized, sources said, by a detective working the homicide case in which Hayes is a person of interest. That don't even make sense. This like ties back to the original story. It's like, don't y'all got systems in place? How old is outdated your computer system? No, but, but here's the thing. What's your computer supposed to say? I don't know when he became a person of interest in this homicide. I don't know how old the homicide is. The person might have just got killed two days ago. You know what I'm saying? I have no idea. I guess my point is he's already in the system. Like, he working there and stuff. Like, if his name comes up as a person of interest, like, I assume that your computer system helps you find where people are employed or find their address. (laughs) So I'm saying we got a person of interest. Put him in Cop Google, whatever y'all Cop Google is, and it should say, this dude is three offices down. Like, that's what I mean. (laughs) Well, here's the other part of that for me, too. Person of interest is a broad term. Yeah. Right? That's true. Like like Buddy for the Cowboys that appeared to be riding around when the shooting took place. He was a person of interest. All right? Right. Person of interest does not mean you get fired. We think you did it. <laughs> That's what gets you fired. Like, cause it's not like he works for a department for the city. He works for right. the actual police department. So yeah. what exactly does the police department know about this person to be like, nah, notice I didn't say nothing about that person being arrested. Right. I just said they got fired. Like right. what exactly do they know about him? That is not enough to arrest, but enough to chuck the deuce. Yeah. You know, something it just, I guess I'm just shocked that they found him and they were surprised that he was there. No, and so I just stumbled upon him, just walked in the elevator and was like, he wasn't hiding. I mean, I don't know no, how the, the system problem, works. To answer your question, aren't there checks? Yeah, there are checks for poor people. <laughs> they don't true. bother to That's do fair. none of that. Let me look into That's it. Like, fair. I think about that with the draft, right? Mm-hmm. All this stuff that they supposedly do, getting in the backgrounds of the players. I ain't never once heard about no private investigator following no coach around. Ever. Nope. All right, never mind if they money's actually guaranteed. I ain't right. never once heard nothing about nobody doing that. And they have more control and influence. Like one receiver acting up is 
not the same as a, a moral coach running the whole team. It's a little different. Yeah, now nah, they assume. They just like, okay, they ain't going to do nothing ridiculous. Come on now. Alabama state motto is trans it's latin translates to we dare maintain our rights i'm a little stunned that it's in latin yeah i'm shocked too like arizona's in latin i guess when i see it it's like y'all want to say something but you're gonna put an extra layer to translate how i should be offended by this you know i think that's the only purpose of putting Mm -hmm. it in latin because arizona's is god and riches that's in latin also it's a lot of them Yo, we will maintain our rights. And I hear that in Alabama, and I'm like, who's our? Yeah, exactly. Who we, who we white man? Who we? Yeah. Who we? <laughs> it is definitely about states' rights, which actually mean less rights for certain people. States' rights is code yes. for nah. Y'all it's don't our, get none. our right to take your rights. <laughs> and we going to maintain it. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Uh, Before we got started, we were talking a little bit about what's going on. Your boy Debo Samuel say he wants to trade. And what in the world happened in those discussions to make it go there already? Yeah, I mean, there's not a bunch of reporting on this. So, like, I am making some leaps. But my guess is what I understand and what they're saying is Debo is not happy with the way that they're using him, which to me translates based on all the other inputs, translates to y'all don't want to pay me the way I feel like I deserve based on the way y'all using me. And he's only had, what, seven million, around seven million for his first contract because he was a second round pick. And in this last season in particular, he really was elevated to the most important person on their offense. And it's rare that that player is not the quarterback, even if the quarterback is mediocre. But if you go into a, that team or you go into any team, you're like, who can we not do without this weekend? Who's the one player we don't want to get injured and we can't replace him? Most of the people will be quarterback, even if it's Kirk Cousins. That might be the only T where it's like Debo. I don't know. Give us somebody else but Debo. And he probably wants to be paid that way. And they're like, no, nah, we're going to pay you like a receiver. Or like a running back, right? Yeah, I hope that. I, I assume that they're not trying that. Well, no, they, no. They can't be, they can't be that yeah, ridiculous, right? Stupid. Like, like, like they can't Maybe be Maybe they that pay ridiculous. them both. <laughs> <laughs> they give them both the contracts. Yeah, but this is one thing about football is the rigidity of positions in terms yeah. of how you get paid. Like, to me, I always say the greatest inefficiency in the franchise tag system is the preposterous idea that all offensive linemen are treated the same, right? Like, a tackle is treated the same as the guard, even though there are clear graduations in how we pay people 
up and down those lines, right? But if you are, this happened with those, I call it those convertible tight ends, like Jimmy Graham being like, you split Uh me out wide more than 50% of the time, and now you want to pay me as a tight end, even though you clearly use me as a wide receiver. You know, like it's those sorts of things tend to come up. And with Samuel, who had the most rushing touchdowns ever for a wide receiver, right? They use Uh him to supplement the running game, but he's obviously a wide receiver. They don't do a lot. He's not Marshall Falk where you start him off at tailback and then split him out wide, right? Like maybe they run something and he comes back around or whatever, but everybody else started paying these wide receivers and all these cats popped up and are like, yo, where am I at? And the 49ers are like, yo, we had never planned for this, but I want to ask you this about this particularly with the 49ers before we get to the other receivers. If you play for the 49ers and you're Debo Samuel or just about anybody else, and you go look at all that money they paid use check. That's the big one to me. They paid him so far over the market value for right. a fullback, which would seem like a good thing. I mean, it's a cool thing to do because yeah. they're saying he's so important for our offense that we should pay him in this way. Then you got to pay Debo Samuel like Devontae Adams money. Is there any way around that? <laughs> There's no way around that. Um, the use check justification is what he allows us to do he means this much to us and i respect that i respect that they weren't like ain't nobody else gonna pay you this so we gonna pay you top for a fullback which is pennies i respect that they're like well we're gonna pay you the way that you deserve to be paid but that's easy to do when you like if you got a a thirty dollar bill you're like all right twenty percent i don't got no problem with that the problem with this is the 20% that you're going to have to give to Debo is enormous because one of the challenging things, and I, I'm, our heads were in the same place when it comes to this positional specific stuff in the league and how difficult that makes things because I, uh, before the show, I looked up the numbers for all the positions to try to figure out what Debo's argument could be. But the marquee position, as far as money's concerned, after quarterback is wide receiver. So, like, what is your argument? Because if you're a running back, like you're McCaffrey, your argument is don't pay me like the other running backs because I'm more than that. Same as if you're a fullback or if you're a tight end or something like that. But if you are at the highest paid position outside of quarterback on offense and what you provide to the team is more than the average receiver, then what are you saying? Pay me like a quarterback? And ain't nobody going to do that because you might get hurt in a way that quarterbacks wouldn't get hurt. But I think that his argument is incredibly valuable and valid. But at the same time, I'd be hesitant to pay him that way because my belief for him is he supplements your running game. So you don't have to invest as much in running backs. He can be a number one receiver. You don't have to invest as much in receivers. And also, he's going to make your quarterback 10% better. Whatever he is, he's going to make him 10% better. It's worth all that. But football players get hurt, man. Yeah. <laughs> and if you ain't a quarterback, I can't pay you like that. But his problem is you're not going to pay me because I'm going to get hurt. But you got me doing the stuff that gets yeah, people hurt. Get hurt. And then you're going to tell me you're not going to pay me. I don't get no hazard pay. Like, like that's where the running back is out here. Like, what are you talking about, dog? Why don't I get hazard pay? I feel yeah. like I deserve my hazard pay. And I feel like his real argument is see how this go without me, dog. Yeah. Try Trey Lance out here without me. Now, this is my question for you, as you know all these positions better, obviously, and you watch far more film than I ever do. If Debo Samuel only did wide receiver things, how good of a receiver would you say he is? I think he's the legitimate number one receiver. And I do think that only doing wide receiver things has changed in the modern NFL. Because, like, the thing that he does that most wide receivers, except for, like, 
Patterson in Atlanta, most wide receivers don't do, is like line up in the backfield with his hands on his thigh pads. But all these other receivers that are getting paid, they're running jet sweeps. They're running screens. They're catching over the middle. They're going deep. Like he does all those things. So it's one thing that he does. And it's a really valuable thing. Just the threat of it is incredibly valuable for what it does to a defense personnel-wise. And you see the same thing happen. Defenses are getting more versatile guys to adjust. But the idea that you can put Debo out there with another running back and two other receivers, and you could credibly run a power-eye formation just as credibly as you can run a three-wide receiver spread formation, that is punishing for what you're going to be able to call as a defensive coordinator, what you're going to be able to expect. So that is so valuable and it simplifies things for your quarterback. The reason I asked the question was the one thing Kyle Shanahan does is scheme dudes wide open, right? And so what I was wondering was whether his value, whether Samuel's value may seem inflated in that scheme, because I don't know much about like how well he runs routes, for example. Right. If you took him someplace that required a different level of precision, like that's maybe, you know, Basically, the argument they didn't make with Juszczyk, which is, hey, man, you are important to us. But the flip side being you are better with us than you would wind up being anywhere else. But all these wide receivers, what is him? Metcalf wants his money. A.J. Brown wants his money. It's all these dudes that were taken in the second round that turned out to be beasts that are now flexing for money. Do you know what they all have in common aside from being drafted in the second round? Mm Mm-mm. They all got the same agent. Oh. I didn't realize that until yesterday. That's nice. One man looked around and was like, I can reset this whole market by myself. Because yeah. all those dudes, Julio Jones, hey man, Julio, one of them dudes where you stop and look up and be like, damn, this would be his 12th year in the league. <laughs> Julio done messed around and got old, right? Tennessee, and especially with Ryan Tannehill being so dependent on play action and the idea of having a big old dude like A.J. Brown, right? Yep. Okay. Metcalf, I still think Metcalf is not quite as good as we want him to be, but it's mm-hmm. still pretty damn good. Yeah. But Seattle needs him. They're going to be out here trying out Drew Locke or whoever they put at quarterback. They need him. They need him if they want to win. And I mean, I know <laughs> Pete Carroll's old. Yeah, I know Pete Carroll's old. So people are like, yeah, they want to win, but I'm not sure that they want to win. You're back to your point about Debo as a number one. That's a point well taken. I guess the the pushback is I hadn't considered that, and that's something I should have considered. Looking at his raw numbers, some of that, I think, can be Shanna discounted because he's scheming you wide open the same way you can discount some of Garoppolo's numbers. But I do also think that it's not about film study. This is like the primitive stuff. Turn it on and watch this man make stuff happen. And while you're right, I wouldn't go get Debo if I wanted him to be Julio Jones or if I wanted him to be... I don't know, Jerry Judy, like a precise route runner like that. But he's the type of player that, and it's because of Shanahan, if you are conscious of what he does well, you make your offense so that that stuff works for you. And that, at that point, he becomes that valuable. But he's not a guy that I think you drop into all systems. And Julio Jones, just in my mind because you brought him up, is that guy. Where it don't matter where you put him. <laughs> he going to find a way to kill. And I agree DeAndre 100% Hopkins. with the DK. Yeah, I agree 100% with the DK Metcalf. Uh, thing is DK Metcalf looks scary and his numbers are scary and some of his plays are bananas but he's not top five as far as I'm concerned as people that I would draft he's not Devontae Adams type of player 
and I don't know. I, I'm just old, but I, I get tired of looking at that pacifier. That don't that don't be hitting on nothing for me. <laughs> I heard tell you about the time Metcalf's daddy beat my friend up. Oh my gosh, what happened? I got a friend who played at Ole Miss, and he said <sighs> he got into it in practice with Metcalf and with Terrence Metcalf. And, and just uh, for you guys who don't know, you think, wow, DK Metcalf's a wide receiver who looks like an offensive lineman because his dad was an offensive <laughs> lineman. We don't typically see it go down that way, but that's what happened. Uh, okay, uh, like you're lucky. Uh, like you hope the wide receiver have an offensive lineman kid with wide receiver feet. But uh, anyway, was his mama athlete too or something? I think so. Yes, but uh. Metcalf, uh, Terrence Metcalf beat my homie. My homie's like, he got me. He from Mississippi too. He got me. Don't, don't, don't think he ain't get me. He got me. And he said, I learned a lesson that day. I ain't never get hit first again. <laughs> he said, the lesson he learned that day is if it feels like it's about to happen, it has already begun. Oh, yes. First grade, the only fight I've lost. I learned that lesson. We were talking trash at recess and... I didn't think it was going to happen because we're little kids. Mm-hmm. Pop! Caught me in the face. And then I was just stunned. It was over after that. I yeah. didn't go down. I was just stunned. And <laughs> it's an L. I mean, Dang. I got to count it as an L. Let me ask you this. How mad do you think Percy Harvin gets seeing Debo oh, Samuel? Right? Man. Eric Metcalf, who had a very good career, but still. Mm-hmm. Eric Metcalf yeah. looking up like, I'd made the Hall of Fame if y'all had me out here. But yeah. Rocky Ishmael. It's the same as like looking at these old-time three-point shooters who are looking at the NBA like, man... I get this Duncan Robinson money. (laughs) (laughs) If y'all would have just figured this out sooner. Dude, would Larry Bird have scored like 50 points a game if he played today? (laughs) Larry Bird only shot one three-pointer a game because he thought it was a silly contrivance, which it is. Which it was, but it also was a great silly contrivance. I mean, the whole thing, the the idea of basketball itself is a silly contrivance. Like, let's run up and down a court and put a ball in a hoop. So that silly contrivance is actually making people money. All I'm saying is this. If you watch DeMar DeRozan on Wednesday night, mm-hmm. destroy the Bucks. Mm-hmm. If DeMar DeRozan could shoot from like one foot farther back. Craziness. DeMar DeRozan might be the best player in the NBA if he could just <laughs> shoot from one foot farther back. Uh, That's where y'all put that line. Yeah. And therefore, we complain about the fact that he can't shoot from one foot farther back and ignore. DeMar DeRozan is one of those dudes that when you talk to players about him, they're like, nah, dog, I don't think you understand. Like, this yeah. is a different level of sophisticated code than you got anything for. But I think about Harvin. Harvin, to me, is like the last one as the transition was happening where mm-hmm. you knew what to do with somebody like him. He had the first half of that one year, I think it's like his last full year in Minnesota, where he looked like the MVP. Right. You know, and just couldn't stay healthy after that. But all those dudes, that were out there, you know, the little jitterbug types. And I guess Debo is not little. He's big. But yeah. Percy was also strong as an ox. Mm-hmm. They so mad right now. Yeah, I mean, I think about this every, occasionally about how the rule changes, in part because it's such a closed ecosystem that ideas don't get in that often. And when they do get in, they pervade, they completely take over. And that stuff determines like who's great, who gets paid. That's the same as like you look at the NBA. They are players in the league now that their skill set doesn't mean they're not good enough, but it wouldn't have played well. Or like Kevin Durant's a reasonable example. Before we figured out that like European big guys, the whole Dirk wave, like before we figured that out, they would put Kevin Durant in the post and been determined that he was too small. He'd been like a rim protector and no one let him shoot threes. Like this is 
probably a bit of an exaggeration, but that's he my point. We look at, yeah, he, yeah, right? And that gives Manute Bowl because shoot, I remember he hit like seven in one game in D.C. But, I mean, the point is, it's all kind of a silly contrivance. And the way that the NFL game has changed to move away from the physicality is there are probably a ton of really big run stoppers that got on referee shirts right now selling <laughs> shoes at Foot Locker. You know, Yo. like they would have been all-star MVPs, but they are a GA at the college that they went to now because of Ben and Amalu and the concussion protocol. Yes. And we was like, we can't do that no more. We got to spread it out. Let's change the rules. Bruh, you remember when a skill for playing football, Michael Irvin, great example. Michael Irvin, by the way, who may be the most underrated of the great wide receivers when you really go back and look at it. But the number one Michael Irvin skill is I go over the middle. Like, that was a talent. There isn't a single wide receiver that we talk about anymore where we're like, yo, man, but that dude's willing to go over the middle. The middle ain't what it used to be. Man, can you imagine what it would be like if you, like, sat down a room full of these current wide receivers, right? Take Odell Beckham and all them cats and be like, okay, we're going to watch a game from 1995 where the athletes have gotten to this place, but the rules are still where they were. Exactly. Woo! They quit football right then. Yeah, I mean, and Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice, similar too. It's like we focus so much as we get ready for the draft. We focus so much on the tools that the guys had. Like those guys are not toolsy guys. And even when you watch, like they all have highlights, but you watch a Jerry Rice highlight video, it's him like catching a skinny in the seam and taking it to the crib and like everybody falling around around him. It's not like the ridiculous stuff that we're seeing now, but I think in part because like toughness was a paramount thing like you needed that toughness and you can't test that as much and you see Jerry Rice getting beat up and, and playing through it and that's what makes him as great as he was and being in the system having a great quarterback all that I think the same thing is true with Michael Irvin like I don't know what Michael Irvin 40 time is but I never remember watching a game and like the 90s was probably when I watched the most football I never remember watching a game and thinking damn Michael Irvin can fly I never remember watching a game thinking damn can't nobody stay close to him he like he just shaking shifty like there is nothing that jumps out of, about Michael Irvin that just feels so good about him but then it's the point that you made is the game was so different that all the guys who could do all that stuff if they wasn't tough it didn't matter unless you were randy moss right yeah why would, no. why, why would i go over the middle when i could just go straight <laughs> and can't nobody do nothing about it two people back there three people that's one of the arguments that's one of those lebron versus jordan arguments that people can find a way to pick any side but if you don't say randy moss you're wrong that's the, as far as i'm concerned so we can do this you know me I am the biggest Randy Moss fan. So you wrong. Is that you about to tell me? Dude, the thing about Jerry Rice is, while you are correct on all the eyeball test stuff with Jerry Rice and everything else, somehow, some way, he was still doing all of this. Like, what's most amazing to me about going back and watching... Yeah, but what's most amazing to me about watching Jerry Rice clips is, somebody was double teaming him. But it never looked like it. Like, by the time the clip came, let's watch Jerry Rice get open. The double team was just to make sure one guy was going to be there at some point because it wasn't going to be the two of you anywhere near there. That dude, just the ability to get open all the time and, and while we're talking about the dudes over the middle and all that, dog, you ain't never see Jerry Rice out there getting smashed over the middle. They couldn't even get close enough to him to do that. And, but, and, man, and they had Taylor out there taking them shots for him too. Yeah, but I mean, it's a definite one-two Jerry Rice, Randy Moss for me. 
I just cannot ignore the sheer raw production year after year. You can say, yeah, he had Montana, yeah, he had uh, Young. But go look what he did with Steve Bono and some of these other dudes that were coming in. He had 1,000 yards in Oakland <laughs> like when he was like 39. Dude, my favorite NFL stat season ever. You want to talk about a perfect storm. You ever look at Jerry Rice's numbers from the 1987 strike season? Mm-mm. Jerry Rice had 21 receiving touchdowns and one mm-hmm. rushing touchdown mm-hmm. in 12 games. Mm-hmm. And I am convinced how that happened. That happened because it was a strike. And while you dudes are sitting around being like, we ain't going to play this week. We ain't going to play this week. Jerry Rice was doing that day what he was doing 20 years ago. What I bet he did this morning. Running up that damn hill. With nobody <laughs> ready to come back after a strike quite like Jerry Rice. <laughs> catching bricks isn't that how he how his hands got strong his daddy was pitching him bricks he was out there catching bricks while y'all was worried about negotiating i can't argue with any of that but i do pre-93 is a different nfl the way that you could accumulate talent and keep that talent was different so i think that has something to do with it like it, it wasn't a coincidence that those teams were so dominant and they stayed dominant for long periods of time and the players stayed on the team for a long time and if you have one of the most innovative coaches in the history of modern football. And you also have two of the greatest quarterbacks, some of the greatest offensive linemen, some of the great defenders. Like this is not to take anything away from Jerry Rice. Like that stuff matters too. So he's certainly the best of all time. But I guess my question is, when I ask this question is, who are you going to draft? I'm taking Randy Moss. Yeah, he's like, you line him up against the wall. It's like I was talking uh, with somebody, I was talking to Vinny about this with uh, DeAndre Ayton. Because DeAndre Ayton, the way people talk about it, Ayton is kind of like Olajuwon to Luka's Michael Jordan in that draft, right? Like the guy that Uh went number one that you're very happy with, even if people think the guy below him is better. You know, let me tell you something. You can get on anybody for not taking anybody in a draft. I get that. But if you lied to everybody up for that draft against the wall... That's fair. There's no question which dude you're going to take. I was looking at Aiden's old face ass the other night, yeah. and I was just like, yeah, no, no, no. Give me the 35-year-old dude. Oh, he's 19? Even uh, better. Come on down. Come on, pops. Aiden was like, he came on late, I guess. And, I mean, I remember all the stories about how Chris Paul made DeAndre Aiden. Because, like, prior to that, he was a legitimate bust. But the Olajuwon comparison, I think, is fair if we're talking, which is a, a stupid, speaking of silly contrivances, is, like, the all-time draft is a silly contrivance. But I guess my point is, and maybe it's just because I played against them and just being at a defensive back. I played against both of them, actually. Yeah, well, 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 well. well. One was 42. I was about to say, you played against a version of Randy Moss. Yes, you did. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I played against Randy Moss when he was in. I'm sorry. A a version of Jerry Rice. My fault. Yes. I played against a a man named Jerry Rice. (laughs) I didn't play against the Jerry Rice. (laughs) And I guess I never played against. I practiced against Jerry Rice. It wasn't quite what I remember watching on TV. But I guess that is like like Randy Moss. When you were were checking him (laughs) in practice, did you feel like Larry Holmes against Ali? I was taking whatever I could get, man. I was I was a rookie. I was trying to get my name. I wasn't concerned about none of that. But yeah, I, I was beating up on a legend. But I guess this Randy Moss breaks defenses in a way that I think very few players, the, the way Tyreek Hill does, honestly. Yeah. Dude, that first, that rookie year of Randy Moss is one of those mm. things that mm. I'm just, mm. like, there are a couple of seasons. It's not about, like, the actual numbers at the end or anything like that. It's just about what it was to see it. It's rare that you have, like, an individual year for somebody where it's just like, yo, you had to be there. Like, it must have been like that for O.J. Simpson in 1973, right? Like, you just had to see what was going on. 
Randy Moss in 1998 and Michael Vick in 2002, where it was just like, yo, you just had to see this. Like, if you did not witness this with your own eyes, I just can't explain. That Monday night game against the Packers where Moss had three touchdowns or that Thanksgiving game where he had like three catches for 150-something yards and three touchdowns on Thanksgiving Day. It was nothing you could do about it. And it's like the highlights, I know it sounds stupid when you see Randy highlights, but the highlights didn't do it justice. Randy Moss, the best way you could explain that season to people who were not paying attention or old enough to have watched it at the time, it's like it felt like somebody came from the future and they already <laughs> had all the answers. Like they, they, they pulled the biff. And that's what it felt like. And I wasn't playing back then in 98. I was just watching. It was check his birth certificate type stuff. Yeah. Or it was hey. like, nah, that ain't right. <laughs> you ever seen that clip of D'Angelo Hall talking about the first time he checked Randy Moss? Mm-mm. So in 04, D'Angelo Hall is one of those guys who was like, he's probably going to be a first round pick. And then he ran 4-3 and he's definitely going to be a top 10 pick. And so he goes to the Falcons. The Falcons do that audacious thing and give him number 21, which I thought was a bit hasty, but okay, you know, it happens. So it's preseason. And they got him on Randy Moss. And he gave him cushion. Just to be clear, he gave him some room. D'Angelo Hall has probably never been outrun in his life up to this point. Dude, Randy Moss took maybe four steps before he threw that hand up. (laughs) Just fully aware of what was about to take place. But D'Angelo Hall had no idea. He's in his pedal. He's in his turn. I might as well stop now. And in a, a preseason game, Randy Moss just decided he wanted to make sure that this youngster understood that it was a whole uh, new world. Uh, there's um, Randy Moss and Bethel Johnson. Bethel Johnson, nobody knows who he is. Texas A.D.L. Yeah, those only two times in my career where I felt like I'm not in the same class as this person <laughs> speed-wise. Because, like, I mean, I was a fast guy. That was, I wasn't that big. It was, like, that was my thing. Like, you're not going to run Bobby. And that was a and Bethel Johnson was a gunner. He wasn't like good enough receiver to get consistent time, but he was a gunner on punt team. And I had to block him a couple times. And I was like, no, like I can't. He just gonna run past me. And Randy Moss is the other one where I was like, all right, I'm gonna do my best. Like I'm gonna get in here and do what I got to do. I'm not gonna let him embarrass me. Then he ran past me one time. He didn't catch the ball. But <laughs> from that point on, I had a decided strategy. Every time I played against him, he was in Oakland or New England. Is I'm gonna tackle you in front of me. Like, I'm a li- if I have to line up 12 yards deep, judge me if you want to. You better catch this comeback or this out. What you're not going to do is run past me and catch a 99-yarder on me. Oh, it's like I once had to guard a dude that run and shoot in Atlanta. If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a gym. And uh, I wound up checking some dude who I later found out was on an and one mixtape. And I had seen what he was doing to everybody. His handle was bananas. And I had just made a decision. If you go right, I'm going to go right. If you go right and then go left, I'm staying right. <laughs> What this is not going to turn into is a clinic, right? Like what this is not going to turn into is an agility drill for me. This is not going to turn into a demonstration. None of this. Like it's not happening. Like my brother talks about he had to guard Mahmoud Abdul Raouf once uh-huh. at a pickup game in college, like Chris Jackson, like when it was Chris Jackson. And my brother said he's like, okay, it was a switch, something happened, and now he's face up. And my brother's a good basketball player, but my brother was your classic six foot four power forward of mm-hmm. you know that level of yeah. play so he's like look man he ain't gonna go past me that i know i'm just gonna keep backing up 
He was like, man, it's like that dude jumped into his shirt and came out the backside. It's like there was no, there was no moving back far enough to prevent this from taking place. There, there was, there was no move. Like basically thinking that you could step back on Chris Jackson, but like, well, they ain't going past me. Would be like, I'm gonna set my base as solid as I can, and Shaq ain't going through me. No, he, no, no, he is. There's no, there's no solid enough that you can set. Uh, just begging Mahmoud, I guess Chris at the time to shoot. There's a lot of guys in pickup games that like relish that opportunity. Like, I'm going to stop this guy that's been crossing everybody up. This going to be my moment. For who? For what? No, you might feel that way about a dude if you ain't never heard of him. But uh, yeah. but you just watched him put up 30 on the SEC. You're like, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh. not going to do that. Uh, let me ask you this before we get out of here. Uh, are you loving Net Celtics as much as I'm loving Net Celtics? It's pretty fun. I mean, I wish the Nets would have won. Like, I, I, I want it to be a tighter series, but I mean, maybe oh, the Nets will time. pull off this. Yeah, maybe they'll pull up. But it, the thing is, it doesn't look like we do. Like, I thought in the playing game, I saw Durant play some defense, and I was like, maybe they can hit a defensive switch. But they don't got the personnel to play good enough defense. And the Celtics play incredible defense. You combine that incredible defense with. And it's not just one person, as we've seen, because they don't even have Time Lord, their best defender. It's Jason Tatum, too. And you combine that great defense with a shot getter or shot maker who is making all of his shots. And Jason Tatum, it's like, I I don't see the answer for them right now. And Marcus Smart is contributing offensively, but also consistently making good decisions, which I'm not a basketball analyst. He don't consistently make good decisions on the offensive side of the ball. And it, it just seems like I picked the Celtics to win this, but I don't see the hope, especially if KD is like they're roughing him up and he's not, he doesn't have an answer for it right now. Where's the coach? He's the one that's supposed to have answers for these things, right? Like Kyrie Irving scored 39 points in game one and was basically not there in game two and I can't blame Kyrie for it because it's not like he was really getting the ball with an opportunity to get it done they had that big lead they wound up blowing that in the course of because I thought they was gonna walk after a point and what I see is the Celtics have a much better coach than the Nets do and also the Nets got two guys until Ben Simmons plays they traded James Harden for Seth Curry right even with James Harden being a diminished version of himself that's a bad deal (laughs) as it is applied right now that is the Sixers Got James Harden for nothing because Ben Simmons wasn't playing. So they just threw, you know, Seth Curry back out there. And so the coach didn't do him much anything. Durant was just getting swarmed. And I just want to point this out again, guys. This is his 15th year in the league. Like, it's like we're expecting a 2014 Kevin Durant to come out here. And he's still very, 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 very good. But I think you got to temper your expectations. A dude who hasn't played for a significant part of the year. All of that. What got me in watching that game, boy, is I got all my things to say about Boston. But, man, that building be rocking, dog. Yeah. Like, when a good game is going there, it be rocking. Like, I'm over here trying to test my, you know, COVID stomach. Because I think game three might be rocking in Brooklyn. It could be fun, but, you know, they told y'all not to wear masks no more. and. (laughs) Yeah, you can't mess with that. I mean, I think the coaching point is an interesting one. We all think the Celtics are better, but they aren't this much better. And it doesn't seem like he has answers. And I'm I'm cautious to like pretend like I completely understand everything about basketball because like I know how complex football is. Basketball never looks nearly as complex. I'm sure there's things that I'm missing, but nothing seems new. And I mean, I guess I understand that if I got Kevin Durant and I got Kyrie Irving, like I'm not doing a whole bunch of like 
scheme changes. Like, get that dude the ball and get out the way. But see, but that's the thing where you say that I guess people aren't getting on Nash because we think the Celtics are better. But the fact that we think the Celtics are better maybe has yeah. something to do with Steve Nash, right? <laughs> exactly. Because, I mean, you can make an argument the Celtics are the best team in the East. Like, what they've done yeah. this year has just been kind of wild to watch and observe and see them put it all together. Because I didn't think, for the longest, I always said they had a handful of low spades. Uh-huh. And then I thought that, like, Tatum and Brown were, like, king and queen, like, face card spades. Yeah. But they look at like the dude, like little Joker and Deuce at this point. Yeah. Like, like they look yeah. at like they can't they can't beat everything. You know what I'm saying? But you throw them down on the table, you got a pretty good. Somebody gonna have to use up one of their big boys in order to get that book. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't feel like the Nets have that at this point, which sounds stupid because they have KD and Kyrie. It just doesn't feel like they're going to rise to the moment or that they're capable of doing it. And the physical play, like they call more fouls this game, but it still feels like. I don't know how to explain it, but it seems dumb to say that the Celtics' defensive strategy or physicality is messing up KD because, like, KD's seen it all. Nothing can stop KD, which seems more reasonable is, like, your point. He's getting up there. It's a lot to ask of a dude who's getting up there and whose body, like, he's coming off of injuries and he's got an abnormal, like, body. Like, we don't know how this makeup lasts, and that seems to be the bigger defining characteristic of this series is you're going against guys that are entering their prime versus a guy who's exiting his dude if they go three years into this experiment and don't make it past the second round of the playoffs this is one of the great failures like i say if it's wild because i say if they win the championship it's going to be one of the most impressive finals runs ever just because of all the teams they're going to have to go through but this whole experiment they haven't been past the second round and it's not looking right now like they're going to wind up getting past the second round i can't think of anything that would be a greater failure I mean, even when the Rockets put together old Akeem with old Drexler and old Barkley, they made it to the conference finals. Yeah, it's going to be a failure, but it's a failure that it's a mistake, I guess. Or no, it's not a mistake. It's something that you would redo. Like, I wouldn't blame the front office or the ownership or anybody for making any of the decisions that they made up until this point, because I feel like given the facts at, at any given time, or at least the facts as we understand them, it's something I would do. It's like KD wants to come here. Oh, yeah. Or Kyrie. Yeah. And like KD wants to control these things. It's kind of what you got to do. Yeah. They just, they just didn't do it right. It's not yeah. like trying on the top line isn't the issue. It's mm-hmm. the lack of backup on the backside. But hey, man, that is Dominique Fosworth. Check him out here every Friday on Fosworth Friday. Also check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. Check him out on Debatable. Check him out all over the place. Appreciate you, sir. Always, man. All right. And also, our voicemail topic uh, this week is that unfortunate typo that you made on something that you sent off. Kind of like I did the other day when I... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. I hope she didn't see it, but I wasn't going to be the one to bring it up. But hey, Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. We do this three times a week. Gabe Bassane and Adi Khan handle everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.